When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. So I'm I'm here uh, alone today with me without Jess, but we do have an amazing guest. Like I promised in the last episode. So welcome Liz Covart from Ben Franklin's World. Elsie, it is so awesome to be on She Podcasts with you. I mean, I miss Jess, <laughs> but I mean, we're together, so we're going to have a great time without her. We are. We are. We are. And it's um, and I'm sure she's having a fantastic time over at the beach looking gorgeous and tanned and all of the things that you do when you go to the ocean. I have been wanting to have you on the show primarily to talk about some radio stuff because you did a really awesome session at Podcast Movement. But before we get started with that kind of stuff, I kind of want to get into some feedback that we got from a couple of episodes ago. I don't know if you listened, Liz. This was like right after we came back from Podcast Movement and Jessica had a little bit of an interview with Mark Aswith from Podcast Websites because he is launching a new thing called Productivity. Did you happen to listen to that? I'm going to talk about it a little bit really quick to get all our listeners back in there. But I don't know if you had a chance to listen. You know, I listened to the one that came out last week. So I think that was like 203. Right. Yeah. So yeah, no, I don't I think you missed it. So here's the scoop. When you were a podcast movement, did you go to the productivity booth by any chance over there? I did. Ramona Rice. Yeah, Ramona Rice took me over to their booth. Okay. And so the whole discussion that Jess had with Mark was about the whole marketing side of productivity, which is essentially, we don't know what it is, right? He just got the booth and he passed stuff out and you signed up to find out what it is, but nothing was really said. And he yet. sent out a blog post or an email to those of us who had signed up because Ramona's like, you have to sign up. You won't regret it. And then, so I did. And the email said nothing about it. It was just like, this is why I'm not going to tell you what it is. Right, exactly. So there were a few of us that were a little disconcerted about this. So Jess and I had a conversation around that tactic, why right? the tactic of just having a product, but not really telling you what it is for marketing wise. And then, so she had all these questions about it. And then I kind of changed my mind on my stance because my first stance was like, I don't really dig this. This feels really weird. The only reason I'm signing up is because we know the people versus if we didn't, like Jess even posted this on the She Podcast group and there was a lot of people that were like, we're only signing up for this because you have put this link up here and we trust you, but we don't know what this is and it feels a little weird and kind of icky. So we talked to Mark about that and he had some really interesting things to say. So if you guys want to know what he said, you got to go back a couple episodes. But we had a little bit of feedback and this is from Karen and she said, Hi, just wanted to mention that I stopped by the productivity booth and heard the spiel and did not sign up because there was no guarantee in writing that my email would not be on a list that got sold. I did not receive assurances that would not ha- that would not happen. I thought about it and de- decided to email's 
of the possibility, the possible gullible and their influence on other gullible people would be priceless to marketers. I thought it might be fun to be in on a mystery, but I just could not do it. So there's that. I understand her point of view. (laughs) And again, I wouldn't have signed up or even followed if it wasn't somebody I trusted. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely signed up because Ramona was like, this is good. And I know Ramona and I know Mark. And uh, so I did sign up and I also use SaneBox. And so right. oh. my thought was, oh, oh. if I get spammed, it's going into the bl- SaneBox black hole. Oh. <laughs> so I don't ha- I'm not going to worry about my email. So, yeah, no, it's true. It's like it seems a little bit weird. It's like, oh. I don't know. But anyway, if you guys want to listen to our thought, we kind of went on it for a long time. So go back to a couple episodes ago to just kind of hear that spiel. But I just thought I'd share that little bit of feedback that came in just from that. So um, but I want to give you a little bit might as well give you a catch up because I did talk about this in the last episode. But the goats are home, Liz. The goats are home. You know, I had heard that the goat had been sick and you never gave us an update in the last episode. So you gave us an update and then said that they were at camp. So I'm glad to hear that they're yes, home they are. from camp. <laughs> and I, I'm, I hope they had a good time. <laughs> they did. They did. And they have an electric fence now that we put on so that they can kind of stay in their little area and they can eat and do their thing and stuff there. Um, so it's it's kind of nice. They've gotten bigger. They Their horns are are much longer they're, and their hair looks very long too. And did you know that goats have this thing on their back kind of like cats do whenever, you know, when cats get scared and they have their back hair stand up? Yeah, dogs do it too. Yeah, well, and so do goats. I guess it's a thing. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh my god! So they have this long hair right at the part of that spine, and when they get a little ruffled up, that's what they do. They get their little things sticking out. So, so the goats are home, and I'm kind of really happy about that. That's really, it's very sweet to have them back, and and they are absolutely very goaty, and they are not as easy to shepherd <laughs> as they were when they were little ones. So that's going to be very interesting. You're going to need a, a herding dog, like an Australian Shepherd or Collie or something. Right? I think so. Right now, Randy, my hubby, is the Shepherd dog. And I have to say that I'm a little bit jealous because whenever they're out and like the girls and I are out with them and I say, come here, guys, or I, I have them go somewhere, they kind of don't even acknowledge my existence or the girl's existence. They're just like, whatever, we're just doing this thing. We're eating grass. But then when Randy walks, he just walks like from one place to the other. Their heads come up and they follow him. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what happened? And then I'm trying to tell him, I'm like, I, I want to know, how do you do that? How do you, how, why are they following you and not me? And he's like, it's all about your energy and your, your energy. You got to drop your energy. And I was like, oh my God, how in the heck am I, what am I going to do? Liz, I'm at a loss. So may I ask two questions about the goats? Yes, of course. Does Randy have to mow the lawn now or do the goats just completely take care of it for you? Unfortunately, uh, he still has to mow the lawn because they are grazers. So they don't, you know, like a lawnmower just mows like nicely, like equally. (laughs) So, So all of the grass is like the same. Uh, Goats don't do that. They will like nibble over here, 
nibble over there, nibble over here, you know, and all over the place. So there still needs to be mowing, mowing of the grass. That's a bummer. For sure. I know. And the other question is, is, uh, are they pod goats? Like I have my pod dog, Sprocket. He's a mini schnauzer. And when I'm recording and stuff, he sleeps under my desk or, you know, when I need to take a break from editing, mm-hmm. he's there with his bone, you know, wanting to play. I mean, do your goats provide the mm-hmm. same service? No. <laughs> I think that this is an idea that I'm going to go with. And maybe what I can do is after I finish recording every episode, I take my break with the goats. And then they can be pod pets. So there'll be pod goats. Yes, pod goats is a thing. And we can start that conversation. Maybe I can start doing that after we finish recording this show. How about that? It sounds great. And the whole pod pet thing, that sounds like a, a really natural feed for the She Podcast group. Like where everybody posts their pictures of their of their pod pets for the pod pets. I know. And like really great pod pet stories. Yep. I think that that would be fantastic. Yeah. Now, I mean, just in some good way, since they are away from the house now, it would be great. Um, when we had our other goats, because we had three female goats that we inherited, like they weren't necessarily we didn't go like, oh, you guys come with us. It was sort of like we ended up with these goats in and I, it's a long story for me to tell you how one ends up with three goats. But we ended up with these goats and they were not necessarily very, you know, when animals and people get along together, socialized. That's it. (laughs) Socialized. They weren't very socialized. Or domesticated. Or domesticated, correct. Neither of those things. And they were very aggressive. And so anytime those goats were out, we couldn't go out. We nobody could. I mean, Randy could because he's the big guy, and he and they again. I guess he exudes an energy of like I am the leader, boss guy. Stay away from me, kind of thing. But we don't. So anytime we were out, they would end up like chasing us and like trying to buck us and stuff. They thought we were other goats or something, and it wasn't. Fun. It it was not fun at all. And what they would end up doing is when we were in the house, they would end up ramming up against the door, the front door, and therefore made lots of noise, which brings me back to recording and the pod pets, where now I no longer have to go close the door because they're banging on the screen door in the front, making a ruckus, trying to break in. (laughs) That sounds worse than Sprocket barking randomly while I'm recording. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably, well, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure now he's got a sense of like what's okay and what isn't <laughs> to some degree as to what to do. Okay, so I think this is a great time for us to get into some news, but before we get into the news though, uh, we have to talk a little bit about our fabulous sponsor, Text Expander. Uh, Liz, do you use Text Expander? I do use Text Expander quite a bit. They according to Text Expander and the weekly emails I get, I save about 3 hours a a week using text expander, sometimes oh more. <laughs> oh my God. Well, how, well listen, I'm only going to ask you what you use it for because my people here have heard me kind of go off a little bit on text expander myself on my workflow. But how, what are some like workflow hacks that you have for text expander? Yeah. So I think like a lot of people, I use it for emails, like guest emails, you know, both the initial inquiry, you know, I have places I can personalize that email within text expander, but the The base of the email is the same. So with just a few keystrokes, I can generate that email or the email that I use to send my guests their questions. But I also have like emails that people, questions people ask me all the time. So I use those to generate emails. And also I use it for hyperlinks. 
So if I'm doing my show notes, you oh. know, instead of typing out Ben Franklin's world, which is kind of a long URL and one you could misspell easily, I just, you know, put semicolon BFW and it just boom right there. It autofills. Oh, so it's really there cool. You go. See, those are such little awesome hacks. So if you want to get your text expander, go over to textexpander.com slash podcast. If you go there, there's a little drop down that you can choose She Podcast as the podcast that you heard it from and get you you get 20% off your first uh, purchase or your yearly subscription. And so uh, check it out because it's uh, possibly something that I can't live without. I use it every single day, many times a day. All right. And so now we are moving into some news. The news you can use for the informed podcaster, podcasting news. Okay, so um, we have, first of all, I just want, this is like the type, it was so funny because I thought, oh my gosh, I have to put this on the show because of course Liz Kovart's going to have something to say (laughs) about this specific tweet that I just saw. (laughs) <laughs> and I guess this is the story. Unfortunately, Liz, the stories about podcasting have been very sadly lacking this uh, week. Sadly, I looked around for something juicy to speak on, and yet this came up. So it seems that Kim Kardashian West just found uh, podcasts, and she's been listening to Serial. A little bit late, four years later, but she's been listening to Serial. And she put up a tweet that essentially asked any other good podcast to listen to. That's uh, pretty amazing. Um, it was It's funny because I, I've heard of the Kardashians. I didn't really know who they were, but I was reading Tim Wu's book last week called The Attention Merchants, and he has like a whole section of the Kardashians. So now I feel like I could engage in this conversation because I have an iota of who they are. Oh, good. <laughs> They're very successful at creating their own brand for themselves, but uh, I'm actually surprised they don't have a podcast. Like, let's just be honest. Like, why don't they have a podcast? Well, okay. So shall I break this down a little bit there? So start to think about this. So the Kardashians have built a brand, which is primarily a visual brand. So they are like the queens of the fish, that fish face. That's the only way that I knew what a fish face was was when somebody would put it up against one of the Kardashians. And do you know what a fish face? Or I think that's what it's called. Is that when you like purse your, purse your lips like a fish? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like you do like a, like a, like a little thing like that, but you only, yeah. And you, yeah. Yeah. And then you put the camera high so that it gives you an angle of like the lips kind of thing. So that's like a look, that's an actual thing that is done on purpose which I didn't know. <laughs> so, so so anyway, the so given that, the Kardashians are really I think that the the majority of the attention to them comes via a visual medium and I think the the least interest I I'm going to get myself in trouble for this. But the least interesting thing about the Kardashians is what they have to say. You know what I mean? Oh, that's that's so. interesting. Yeah, I mean, in Wu's book, he talks about how they got really big on Instagram and were among like the first, you know, Instagram, you know, part of the those FCC rules or the FTC rules or the rules about how you have to disclose that this is a sponsorship that I'm being paid to endorse this project came totally. from the Karda- Kardashian's Instagram account. 
and yeah, and, and rightly so, because they made a lot of money doing this stuff. But the primary fame for them is absolutely visual. It's like, especially if you know about them, you can imagine them because they're very unique. And the majority of their brand is, like I said, a very visual one. And Instagram is obviously a visual medium. Uh, their clothing lines are clothes. The way that they do their the TV show that they have is all about all of the things. Like it would not be as interesting if you wouldn't if you weren't able to see like the opulence and the crazy things that they do and how they engage with one another. If it was any other way, I think it's the perfect medium from there for them. Although. I don't know, man. They, I think that they'd be setting themselves up for some serious. If they did a comedy show, I think it would be great. <laughs> like, if they deliberately wanted to make fun of themselves, I think it would be awesome. But I have a feeling they'd be setting themselves up for for some serious failure doing a podcast. But it's actually good good to know because not everything that works in text or visual will work on a podcast, and that there there really is a perfect media for everyone. You just kind of have to find it. No, absolutely. But you know what? It would help maybe to grow their brand in the way that Kim Kardashian just advocated for a gentleman who was wrong. Is it a woman or a man? You know what? I can't remember. For a, a person who was incarcerated, not for the right reasons. There were many things that were wrong with what happened uh, with this person's incarceration. And she went all the way to the White House to advocate for this person and was able to get them released. The problem came with the fact that because their brand isn't particularly known for social justice or for anything really serious commentary around anything that isn't fashion and opulence, really, because that's really what I know them for, just <laughs> for that, you know, the spectacle of what that is, spending money and things like that. And for her to do this, there were a lot of people who just gave her a bunch of crap, just like, what is she trying to do? What is she trying to be? She's trying to be all this. She's trying to do that. And that was actually my first reaction when she did that. And then I found out that um, I'm not sure what the the means were that she had really connected with this person's story. And she felt that if she could use her, just her presence, her power, what, however that is, to make sure that something was done for this person, that she would do it. And she did. So maybe a podcast could be an avenue for expanding what people's thoughts are about them, maybe. <laughs> It's my only thought around that. Yeah, a little bit of rebrand. A little bit, yeah, a little bit of rebrand, a little bit of, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. But kind of speaking of a little bit of a rebrand, I just kind of want, before we get to talking a little bit of history here of radio and whatnot, is that we have kind of done a little something different with our Patreon as of essentially like a couple of weeks ago. And we did it primarily to enhance our ability not only to be of service, but to also bring the community a little bit closer together. Because as you guys know, or have heard at least from us, that She Podcast has now over 10,000 women in there. And it's a lot of people. 
it's great that everybody's starting and everybody seems to be at, at different levels and whatnot. And then, as you know, the majority of questions that come up usually in that group have to do with launching, you know, because that's when you have the most questions. Occasionally, you do have other questions that come up later on, but those are fewer and far between. And I think what tends to happen is they get washed out sometimes from real deep communications. And so what Jess and I decided to do is to create the Super Squad. I love that name, the She Podcast Super Squad. <laughs> and so, That's really cool. Um, so what we're doing, I know. So what we're doing is for anybody that um, ha- it's a $5 a month Patreon subscriber, then you get access to the She Podcast Super Squad group. And in that group, you get a Q&A from me, which is once a week when we go in there. And so you can put whatever questions and answers you have. And th- that is going to be happening on Tuesdays from 1.30 to 2.30. So what that means is that I will probably put up a post on Sunday evening or something like that. And if you have any questions, post them there. And then on the day on Tuesday, I'll can come in and just kind of go through all the questions and just give my ideas and, and give responses as much as possible there. And I will be live to follow up on anything that I post that anybody wants. And then Jessica is going to be doing some live coaching around sponsorship and monetization also once a week, uh, I think 30 minutes. And I think she's going to be doing Facebook Live. Uh, and the only reason I say I think is because she's currently at the beach and I can't remember exactly what she told me. So that's that's really why. Um, In addition to that, we're going to try to have a little bit more fun in that group where we can post extra bonus stuff and we'll figure out what all the other kind of bonus content that we're going to create for that, that um, we've decided this one thing though, Liz, and I'd love for you to weigh in on, on, on this idea. But what we're going to be doing for extra bonus content for She Podcast, the podcast, which is part of the Patreon thing, is not going to be like value driven in terms of you will get extra information, but it's going to be more fun types of things that you wouldn't get an opportunity to listen to in the past. And I got an idea from this from the Relay F. I don't know if you know Relay FM, the community. It's a network. I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so what they're doing for their membership stuff, which is like this a donation thing, and this made me so happy, is one of my favorite podcasts is called the Pen Addict Podcast. Okay. And so I listened to that show. It's all about pens. It's super exciting. I love it so much. But their membership thing, the bonus content, they're only going to do this. They do this like once a year because they do like a membership try. They just do once a year. They... <laughs> Oh my gosh. They recorded this. Okay. One of them got a Lego set. The other one got the instructions. And then they got together and then they, one taught the other one how to put the Lego set together. And this was three hours. Oh my goodness. Long. I know. And I can't wait to listen. Am I crazy? I can't say that my first reaction was, I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> but then again, you know, I'm the type of person I'm now listening at one and a half speed. And I, I think that's pretty awesome. Not when I'm driving, of course, because then I, I might feel the urge to speed a bit. But I think it's innovative. I haven't heard of anybody else doing that. I know. And, and you know why they did it? And I know that it sounds so weird, but see, this is why they did it. So they were saying that they didn't want to make the membership be about being exclusionary, like they didn't want to exclude people from having the information or having 
like why they listened to the show. They wanted to make it so that if somebody wants to be part of it, right? If somebody wants to give money to the pen addict because they love what they do, they can. But if they don't, it's it's okay. Like it's, they're not missing out. They're not missing out. That essentially what you're getting is this like extra dessert of these of this conversation. Because the reason that you listen to the pen addict, of course I listen because of the pens, but I also really like the conversation between the hosts. And I really want to... I love them. I think that they're great. And so for me, thinking how funny is that? How weird is that? It's just weird. It's weird. So I I, I want to listen. And I think that that to me makes me feel like there's something that I want to hear, but yet I'm not missing out. I'm not missing out on all the great content if I'm not part of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's totally a great way to service your audience and provide a bit of extra. Right. And that's what it is. It's like, <laughs> it's a little bit of extra. And can I just say, like, in the moments you've been talking, I became Patreon supporter number 58. It was so easy to sign up. So, um, you know, to get into that super squad, all you need to do is go to Patreon slash She Podcasts and you can sign right up and it's really easy and fast. Awesome. And then you can be there for the for the Q&A because we're recording on a Monday just to let everybody know. So a week from today is when you guys are listening. So you'll be there for the And maybe there'll be an addition in there where you get the instructions and have to explain to Jess how to put together a wicked, complicated Lego set. Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) I might actually tune into that. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe maybe you really have to know the podcast hosts to get behind that idea. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, I absolutely think that 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 is absolutely true, 100 percent, because, you know, the type of people they are, because it would be so Jess and I were thinking, like, I wonder if we could go to like, because we could do something like that kind of silly. Like if we go, I don't know, she loves to go to Sephora to buy makeup and I'm not a very big makeup person, but the conversations we have about makeup are hilarious because I don't wear makeup and she does. And so she, just thinking like, we're just going to go to Sephora with our my H6 and an ATR 2100 and <laughs> just record us at Sephora. I thought that would be kind of funny and kind of not have anything to do with she podcasts and uh, i'm sure some people would think like i want to hear that (laughs) but that anyway that's what i just thought we could do well that's but uh, awesome congratulations i was gonna say that's awesome and congratulations on your new patreon setup yay so we'll see how that works out and uh because we're testing it out again we test all the things for you guys all the things Uh, but moving along here to our topic what i really wanted to talk about with you mighty one, is that, first of all, it's totally selfish because I wasn't able to attend your session at Podcast Movement because I was on stage at that time. We were on exactly at the same time. Yeah, all the cool kids were on at 9 a.m. on that Friday. (laughs) Thursday, on that Thursday. Thursday. I think it was Thursday. Was it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. And so I was like, oh, I really wanted to know that because the day before we had had a conversation about radio and some of the things that you were finding out. And I was incredibly curious to know about the history of radio. But before I continue on this conversation, would you mind just sharing what your presentation was about and how how it came about that you decided to do this and pitch this? Yeah. So my presentation was called Changing Stations, Radio Lessons for Tomorrow's Podcasters. And about two years ago, I had this idea that everybody was talking about all the new things podcasters had invented. The Serial Podcast, the Branded Content Podcast, 
the host read native ad spot. And I was just like, no, I don't think we invented any of this. I think it all came from radio. And so I had been thinking about like, I want, you know, I'm interested in this. I'd really like to know what happened in radio and what it, you know, how radio has influenced podcasting because, you know, some things that work in radio may not work in podcasting and we're just following these, these models for the wrong reasons. And so I brought it up in the podcast movement group, like after podcast movement, Chicago or for podcast movement, Chicago. And they're like, pitch that. And then I was too busy and I didn't. And then this year I was like, it's Ben Franklin's world and Ben Franklin's town of Philadelphia. And I have to pitch this talk. So I pitched the talk and I'm really glad I did because I thought this was important two years ago. And now every newsletter you read and every article you read right now is like radio is getting into podcasting. And I was like, this is fortuitous. So now I have an idea of like (laughs) the ideas that they're bringing into podcasting and as well as what podcasters are doing that maybe we don't need to be doing because it worked in radio and it doesn't work for us. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really what I did. I, I wanted to know the past so we could, I could better understand where we are so I can better understand how we can truly innovate with the media. So what did you learn? Give me like the thing that you were the most surprised at when you, you did your research. I was really surprised with how much continuity there is between podcasting and radio and even TV, because what happens is, is radio starts, it develops the way that it does. And then like 20 years after it develops, TV comes on board and then TV just took all of the same models that worked for radio and adopted them for broadcast television. Um, so we're locked. You know, podcasting is is really informed by traditional media. And yet it's not really a traditional media. Right. Yeah, that's like, to me, I think seeing those little bits and pieces that come together that way feels that continuity so very strongly. Now, my question, and I don't know if this is true or not, so I'm just, I'm asking you to clarify this for me too, but it feels to me that radio came from almost the same sort of feeling that we had as like as a podcaster. When I first started to podcast. One of the reasons that I was so excited about this medium is because it felt so freeing. It felt so like the possibilities were so open to me that I was able to do whatever I wanted, right? Given the restrictions of what had come before, was that feeling there with, with radio when it first started to kind of pick up the pace, if you will, even though there was nothing before it, right? Because this is essentially the first medium that was out there for the people to consume. Yes, that was definitely the case. There were these tinkerers and hobbyists. They were called DXers because their their oh. primary goal was to build their home radio sets and see how far they could reach. So basically, this is before voice. Later, there will be technological envelop- developments in voice. But let me just take you back here to the beginning. So, okay, my Italian is really bad. Actually, it's non-existent. That's okay. Guillermo Marconi, Marconi from now on, he's an Irish-Italian man, and he invents the wireless telegraphy. So telegraphy is just like the telegraph. So you have these wires strung out across the nation and people sending dots and dashes over the wires, and they're you know translating those into the alphabet, and then you can read a message. Well, Marconi's invention allows you to do this wirelessly, which means for all of a sudden, You could be in New York and get a message all the way to London and find out what's happening in Europe. So this is a really big deal. And it's actually the biggest deal for the newspaper men. So James Gordon Bennett, he owns the New York Herald. It was a penny press. This is the 
one of the first newspapers that takes on the the black lady, the New York Times, and says, I'm going to undercut you. I'm going to sell everything for a penny because what I'm really going to do is sell you sensationalist headlines and lots and lots of ads. So they thought that they could Mm. basically by selling more papers, they could get more ad revenue and make their profit that way. And he was James Gordon Bennett was really successful. So in 1899, he invites Marconi to cover the America's Cup yacht race and to send the results over his wireless telegraphy device. And that's like its American debut. And from there, you have the Marconi company develop and they basically start putting the telegraph out of business because you can send messages now all of a sudden with this wireless device and they can go all the way to Europe. And it's not really until the early 1900s that you get Lee DeForest inventing the audion tubes, which make it possible to receive and hear the voice or music. And then this other guy, Reginald Fesden, invents the alternator, which makes it possible to send voice. So in like 1906 and 1910, then all of a sudden, like radio as we know it starts to come into being because you can send these voice messages. And once you can do that, these DXers start taking to the airwaves and there's no regulation on them. So what makes radio different from podcasting, right, is podcasting is a digital medium so there's as could be as many podcasts as we have server space to store them but for radio there's a limited bandwidth that you can transmit over they called it the Mm. ether but there's only so many wavelengths you can you can transmit voice and audio on and so they just hop around so if like the u.s navy is conducting a rescue or an operation out in the sea you'd have these dxers get on the line and they weren't just eavesdropping in on the conversation They were interfering with it. And this happened big time with the Titanic. The Titanic is going down in 1912 in April. And you have these DXers confusing the message. There was a lot that went down with the Titanic. But it was so bad that you get the Radio Act of 1912 that basically says, DXers, you can listen in, but you cannot be communicating on these wavelengths. And we're going to ban you to short ban radio And then we're also going to require ships to carry all sorts of emergency equipment that they weren't carrying before Titanic. But that's when you start to see the regulation. But it is that pride of I built my own set, kind of like you build your own podcast gear with, you know, your kit with your mic and your mixer and you decide what software you're going to use. They were doing that with their equipment, setting up their radio. And the challenge of them, if it was, was how well can I make this radio so it can reach the furthest that it could reach? And there were all sorts of contests to be like. I'm at the tip of Maine and I talked all the way to California or, you know, I'm in California and I reached all the way to Japan. So there are those kinds of contests and feats of engineering strength going on in, in early radio. Wow. It's, Sorry, yeah, I kind of geeked out there for a moment. No, no. I mean, I think it's like that's what that's why I wanted to have you on. I wanted specifics and I wanted like details and I wanted all this stuff, you know, because Obviously, and I think that with you, especially with your podcast, Ben Franklin's World, there one of the things that makes me really excited about your show is that every time I listen, I feel the the turn, I feel the cycle of that repetition, right? That this isn't the first time this happened. This is not the first time we've gone through this conversation before. And it feels like that to me with podcasting as well, where there is a growth, right? Not necessarily from radio to podcasting, but the way that the media is is moving. So I feel it's moving really quickly. I mean, goodness gracious, I think that we had TV shows for such a long time, just that as being the, the medium. And then all of a sudden, I think in, in the past decade, we've had 
oh my gosh, like YouTube and Netflix and and Hulu and all and Twix and like all of these different ways to put your message out that never existed before, you know, where it's like, oh my God, there's so much. But with the radio and podcasting and the voice aspect of it, that's really intriguing to me, the possibility of being able to build these conversations and, and this kind of getting your message out, right? You want to hear a really cool fact? Okay, so I know your other podcast is The Feed for Libsyn, and Libsyn is based in Pittsburgh, and the first radio station that we would think about music was KDKA 360 Pittsburgh, when this guy, Frank Conrad, he takes out his phonograph out to his garage, and he broadcasts records, and he was a Westinghouse engineer, and Westinghouse was like, wait, what? Do that again. And they thought, well, if we build people a reason to listen to radio with content like music and news reports and election results, then we can get people to buy radios. It's not just a business or a military equipment. So if you want to look at it one way, radio as we know it is born in Pittsburgh. It's a kind of cool connection with podcasting. Oh, my gosh. Who knew that? That's so cool. I love that. I had no idea. And they're still around. I know. I mean, I'm going out there in next June and I'm so excited. I'm like, can I get a tour of KDKA? If you're listening, I know, KDKA, like, I would like a tour. I know. I don't know why I haven't asked a, asked that. I have to do that. I did not know that. I should definitely go check it out because, uh, yeah, it's just, obviously, it's just, a, to me, you know, when you go to a different state or a different country or an, or a different, even a, a, a different city, you start to hear all these stations. You never pay more attention to that. So, wow, that's really cool. I like it. One of the questions that I have for you is around the big fails and the big, the things that actually worked, right? So with radio, there obviously are things or tactics that work for the medium and have worked. And also failures, right? Things that maybe have bound them or have maybe morphed into creating more of a sense of an obstacle where it's like, this isn't moving forward anymore. This is like, it's now binding. It's not uh, is preventing growth. Do you have any insight as to either one of those, like something they do really, really well that you don't feel that that is radio specific or something that radio has really just dropped the ball on that they could have done better? Well, I think when you look at the history, you know, radio could have gone in two directions, right? So just like we ask ourselves with podcasting, like, I love podcasting and podcasts are great to consume because they're so free. But as a podcast producer, I know that podcasts are are free to consume, but not free to produce. And early radio producers, early radio show hosts had the same feeling like this is all great. But do you understand how much it's costing me to keep my radio station open? The first radio stations were formed by businesses like Wanamaker's Department Store in Philadelphia or your local laundry store, feed store. They were sponsoring radio stations and building them just to create goodwill. There wasn't advertising on radio. In fact, people were like, people have radio in their homes. You do not bring ads and business into people's homes. That's their private space. And yet years over a course of like 10 years, you can see them moving in the direction of figuring out how to fund radio. And the medium that develops, of course, is advertisements. And the other direction it could have gone like so there there's two ideas about radio is one is it could be this commercial being that we could sell advertisements on it. We could reach people. It could be a form of entertainment. 
And then the other view was it could also be for education and uplift. It could be government sponsored, sponsored by the people. We could have universities offering classes on it. We could be teaching people how to improve their farming techniques like the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, formed radio shows and the business interests, of course, were really nervous about this because they're like, we don't want government controlling this. But that's exactly what happened in England, of course. England and Canada, you have government support for radio. And so they were able to do a lot more with the educational and uplift side of their programming than American radio was because American radio, basically, the idea behind the business model is you have to create high quality content that people want to listen to. But you have to kind of homogenize it and create it as generic as possible so that you get the widest possible audience. So in that time, it's white men. They feel that white middle class men are the ones who control the radio dial. And so they design shows like Amos and Andy and Rise of the Goldbergs for them. And today we would find those shows incredibly racist, but they were very popular back then. And then, you know, you get a company like Pepsodent. I believe Pepsodent was a sponsor, a longtime sponsor of Amos and Andy. And they would sponsor those shows, and that's what people would hear about. So that's one direction that I see somewhat happening in podcasting, where you have networks coming out. And it it seems like they have differentiated content. But then when you really sit down and listen to it, none of their content is really all that deep. And it can't be because they can't risk offending people because they need to build a big enough audience. You know, they're into not niches like many independent podcasters are, right? Like, I'm interested in talking to people about early American history. If you like 20th century history, you can listen to my show, but I'm not going to cater to you. I'm going to cater to the people who are into early American history. And uh, radio and these some of these podcast networks are not like that. They're like, how can we get the biggest audience possible? So that's one avenue I see. And I do see a potential in podcasting. Like so many of us, we all have our missions, right? Education and uplift. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one place that podcasting can go that radio has never really been able to go. Even the first municipally owned radio station, you may have heard of it. It's called WNYC. New York City (laughs) established that radio station well before it was owned by NPR to teach people about their government and what was going on in their city. And they just couldn't get great content on that radio station. It, It didn't work out. And then so in the 1970s, when they came out with the National Public Radio Act, they gave WNYC to that entity. And I think it's changed hands like twice, but that was the first municipally owned radio station. So yeah, I don't know whether those are failures. I just think their limitations is probably a better word, um, is that the business model of radio has limited it as to what it can do. And I think you hear a lot of the radio folks who want to get into podcasting now talk about it is like, well, if we did podcasts, we could do niche content that we could never put on the air. No matter how good the content is, we just can't put it on the air because it wouldn't speak to enough people for us to get the ad sponsors in where educational and uplift. I think you see a lot of podcasters doing it, trying to get listener support to do it and and to fund themselves in, in other ways that are not traditional advertising. Yeah. And that I mean, that seems to be the question that keeps going round and round and round, like how to do that, you know, how to make that work, because I absolutely I do feel that the importance of podcasting is being able to get into that 
into the depth, you know, I mean, even just talking about the pen addict, I was just talking about them on the, on another show. Right. And that's so specific. Like that's so narrow. There's no deviance in there. Like it just stays with pens and ink and notebooks. Right. And there are no other further expectations. And I don't have an expectation for me to go to that show and say, you know what? I want you guys to cover markers. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that they would and they do cover some pencils and stuff like that because it's the writing material. But there's something very nice about being able to get that deep into stuff. And to some degree, and here's something that keeps coming up for me right now. It's the whole chicken of the egg thing. You know, you said you were mentioning about the early kind of shows that started to come out to be able to essentially reach a wider audience. And at that time, it was the white dude, which is still kind of the same. But... How much of that content was already existing, meaning the culture liked it because it was that person that they were appealing to? Or did the content create a culture of people who resonated with that type of content because they weren't exposed to others? That's a really interesting question. I'm just trying to think. So initially, let's just talk through the different types of content they had, right? So initially, you have music, which ends up getting complicated because initially there weren't any laws really governing what you could put on the air yet. And so they just would get a local group um, that wasn't very good to come on the air and sing, or they would replay records, and they weren't really paying royalties on them. So you get laws that develop over music. Sports. Sports were broadcast because they were really cheap. You know, you could get someone to go down to the local stadium and record the event, and, you know, that became a way to fill airtime when they had it. From there, you start to see the rise of the variety show. So this would be like the Clico Club Eskimos and the Happiness Boys. These are orchestras, usually two guys who just play random characters um, when they have them, or sometimes a guy and a girl. And the woman is usually cast as to be kind of like uh, the dumb blonde stereotype of, oh, I didn't really know. Right. Um, so she's like a foil but she usually doesn't come off all that intelligent in these shows, but they're meant to be comedy shows. So I guess you could see that as playing to the audience. Then you start to see both serial content and the situational comedy, the sitcom, arise at the same time. In 1928, that's when you get Amos and Andy. So if you're not familiar with Amos and Andy, there were two white men, Freeman Gosden and Charles Coral, and they played African-American men who initially, the very first time they air this show, it was a regional show in Chicago. And then the ad men for Pepsodent heard them and said, no, we need to bring this on national radio. And they spent a lot of time convincing NBC that they should do this show. And NBC was really skeptical. I think they charged them like a million dollars to do the first season run of it. And it was so immensely popular. This show where two white guys pretend to be black cab drivers ran until 1960. And this was the first time you really see the rate people on radio portraying the same characters and, you know, furthering their story with each bit in terms of content, you know, women were listening to this and restaurants and other things were planning their schedule around when, you know, shows like Amos and Andy aired, like it would only air for 15 minutes. So they, they'd be like, come into dinner. We'll turn the radio on so you can listen to Amos and Andy while you're, you're doing your dinner. So these are popular with all types of people, but mostly men. Well, when radio proved to be so successful, they start to go after women. And when do women get to control the radio dial? Well, during the day when they're home. 
and when they're cleaning. Mm. And so what they used to do was two different shows. One, I haven't found like the, the technical name for the format, so I call it the infomercial. You'd find like Betty Crocker from General Mills come on and tell you all about the wonders of General Mills products and how they can make your life easier. And so for five to 10 minutes, you'd get a little bit of home help you know, how you can improve your life in your home by using General Mills products. And they weren't the only one to do that, but they're the most famous that we still would remember today. And then you get the soap opera. This was like a serial show, a serial <laughs> yeah. drama, and it would air again for just 10 or 15 minutes and it would be sponsored by the laundry detergent companies. That's why it's called a soap opera. And so you see these different formats form over time as necessity dictates of when we can air advertising and who our key audiences are. But the soap opera infomercial for women and then the those primetime situational serial comedy shows and sports shows for men at night in the primetime hours is mostly the content that you see develop. And it is kind of interesting, right? Like we have the comedy show on podcasts. There's the comedy podcasts. And then we have the serial. We literally have serial the podcast. Uh, so you have serial stories being told, both fictional and non-fictional. The interview format, I guess that would be more akin to like a variety show, like an Ed Sullivan show that you would have. I don't know if Ed Sullivan was actually ever on radio, but there were variety shows on radio. So a lot of the content we just, the formats are what we keep repeating and just adapting to our needs too. Hmm. You know, after hearing all of that kind of stuff, the first thing that I that I start to think about is the power of that type of of content on our lives, like kind of going back into how the necessitated more content, different content, how to reach other people and the potential of reaching people's ears and what type of influence that has, because it is a bit of a teacher, whether you want it to be or not, to be able to have this type of content delivered specifically at that time. I, I'm Obviously, it was a, t a timed thing. So it's like, you know, that the show was at this time. So everything had to revolve around the behavior of the people at that time. And it just kind of allowed people to kind of move into that. I mean, imagine if there was different programming at that time, things that weren't necessarily heard often, um, music that wasn't necessarily heard in different places, because also that's where it feels to me that commercial radio fueled by music um, versus these programs, but fueled by music was very localized and very much based on uh, the makeup of the people within that place. Because even now, you still hear that, right? The music that you hear in radio in, let's say, Los Angeles, California, is different than if you're going to a smaller city in Ohio or something like that. It's Or or something, a smaller city in, in, in the South. That music is very localized and it's very much adding to that specific demographic at that time. It's a really interesting point. So when radio starts, it's all regional. There aren't very strong towers that you could get more than maybe like 25 or 50 miles away from the, the antenna that you could pick up the signal. And what people really yeah. enjoyed about radio and what they had hoped for it was that it would be a unifier. So people that were on the farm in Iowa or in the city of Los Angeles were curious about what people in New York City and New England were doing. And people in New England were interested in what people in Texas were doing. And so you had a mass migration, cause especially during the Depression, mm -hmm. of people moving out of the South and from rural areas to cities trying to find work. And one of the things that they wanted was like 
music that they used to hear from home. And so there became this push to develop the technology to do national radio. And this is why the business model of ads and needing to make money quickly develops is they don't have the power to do that wirelessly. They can only connect radio right. stations nationally through the wires. And there was only one company who owned a, a coast to coast network in North America. And that was AT&T. Wow. And AT&T said, Whoa. sure, radio stations, you can get on our wires and pay <sighs> oh us an exorbitant God. rent. And so that's how the business Ugh. model developed. And why you see the networks form is because you have all these tiny little radio stations who had niche content, but it wasn't big enough to play on a national network and it wasn't bringing them money, enough money to pay the rent on these wires. So you had to have a different business model that would bring in the income and generate revenue to, in part, pay for your rent and generate a profit. Oh, my God. Yeah. But we don't have to pay the, the that kind of money. You know, we just have to pay, like, the Libsons right. and the Blueberries of the world. Right. Yeah, but, you know, but actually, if you start to think about it, we're still beholden to that. I mean, there's a reason why to draw, you know, pull the curtain back a little bit. Liz and I are recording a double under. And the reason that we're recording in this way, as most of you guys know, is because my bandwidth is not very good, like almost zero here. And unfortunately, guess who owns the pipes? AT&T owns the pipes. And there's only a certain amount of parking spots for anybody to park in. And once one is clear, then then you can come and park in it. But other than that, though, I have to kind of suck it up and I'm not going to even be able to get like I don't have access. And that's why it's kind of frustrating in that sense, even though, yes, we are free. Yes, we do have the ability to do all these things and and upload. And, and you know, if you don't want to use anything like Lipson and Blueberry, you could do something like archive.org or something like that and put your media up there. But Essentially, it really comes down to the ability for people to be able to access that, either to put the stuff up or to be able to pull the stuff down from the cloud. And that accessibility isn't really optimized yet. It's, And that's why I think the radio lines, to me, are also very intriguing because it feels also that there is an opportunity for those to reach more people simply because of the setup. But... Alas, just in the same way that you were talking about, there is, you can't just get on the air. You know what I mean? That just doesn't happen. You can't just be like, can I just come out at 12 o'clock on Wednesdays and do my show? Like, that's just not, it's not available. That's not even an option. So there's so many other things that are, are put into place there. But uh, hey, here's the thing. I kind of want to keep talking to you. And I don't think we have any more time left, really, to be honest, because I'm a big stickler for an hour for these shows as much as I can. Mind you, though, if those of you who have listened to this conversation want Liz to come back and finish more of this conversation, because I, I'm really intrigued by this and what the possibilities of of kind of looking back at history, the history of not only podcasting, but the history of, of radio and how we can really talk about how not to make the same mistakes, how to optimize the things that worked in the past for us, and how to let go of models that are, aren't really going to serve because they just are not there. Uh, I think that if you guys want that, you can send some feedback over to feedback at shepodcast.com. Send her some loves. You, you know, some audio feedback would be fantastic. And Liz, where can we find your show? Well, Ben Franklin's World is it has a home website, benfranklinsworld.com, and we're available basically in every podcast app because we host through Libsyn and I can do that. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Liz Covart. Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. And uh, I look forward to hearing your feedback. 
And um, we will have Jess back online next uh, next week. Woohoo! Yay! Elsie, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And Jess, thanks for going on vacation so I could get on the show. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm saying you're welcome for her.